As we continue our series through the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus really declaring the kingdom of God and uh, what it looks like manifested to this world. He brings us to this point in, in the, the message where uh, he talks about something that is really intrinsic to all religions, prayer. In fact, we think that uh, even faiths like uh, uh, Buddhism, that don't really believe in a God, uh, prayer is a big part of that particular faith. It seems like all religions throughout the world, there's something that we instinctively know that uh, prayer needs to be an important component of our faith. And Jesus addresses this pretty head-on in the most surprising way. Now, we take it for granted because we've been living under the new kingdom uh, for the, the covenant of God that's for 2,000 years, but uh, what Jesus talks about today was revolutionary and really something that I don't think we appreciate enough. But hopefully by the end of the day's message, you'll be encouraged by this, and you're going to have a deeper and more profound and more intimate prayer life that allows God's kingdom to be ushered into this world in a, in a more significant way. Now, uh, just a reminder of the things, the principles that Jesus gives us up to this point, uh, that uh, some key truths to the kingdom is that it has to be personal before it's public, right? That, that God's kingdom is something that deals in us first before it becomes this political movement. And that faith and faithfulness are something that are absolutely required in his kingdom. You, you're not going to be able to build his kingdom just on your own know-how or doing things your way, but it requires doing things God's way and trusting that way because we don't all understand God, but it's His kingdom. And also that God's kingdom is worth it. There's a reason why we do these, these things is because it actually has value. God's kingdom is real, and living for it has real benefit. And the expectations that He has for us is to stay salty, right? To, to live the kingdom way, not the worldly way, and to shine the light of God's truth, not to keep it to ourselves. And then He goes on, talks about how He came to fulfill the law and not to, to, to get rid of it, but to fulfill it, to fill it to the full. And he explains how that looks like and, and different ways that the law has been fulfilled. And then he goes into now talking about how the, the, the kingdom of God is fulfilled in his people. Last week, Pastor Jesse did a great job talking about how the kingdom of God is being fulfilled through some of the religious things that we do, like giving, which is an important part of life. And really did a great job talking about how that has to begin with really the attitude. And now he goes into prayer. And there's this idea that it's not just about this external regulation, that God's kingdom is, is not about, you know, forcing us into do things that are just awkward, but it's about transforming us from the inside out, even in our giving, and of course, our prayers no different. So if you have your Bible, we're going to continue this, this message then on Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be starting in verse 5. And uh, as, as we get into this, he, uh, he answers prayer in a really unique way. Now, the context here, remember that Jesus wasn't talking to Christians because there weren't Christians yet. He was talking to those who were pretty devout Jewish people who had found their Messiah and who were willing to go to war against the Romans. That's what they thought they might be doing. That these were those who, who were deeply committed to the Jewish way. And so when he talks about prayer, the audience that he was speaking to, people would be uh, very well acquainted with prayer. And to understand, like the, even today in Judaism, if you talk to a, a Jewish person about prayer, prayer is a big part of their life. But they pray very, very differently than we do, largely because of what Jesus teaches us today. Uh, but, but prayer in the Jewish world, there, there was this, uh, this 
understanding of, of a way that a Jewish person would, would go to God. And they would have three services every day, morning and noon and night. And those services of, of how you would go to God in prayer were, were basically uh, structured for us or structured for them through a book of prayer called the, the Siddur. And, and what this was, it was put together by the, um, the, what they called the Great Council, which is not in the Bible, but it doesn't mean that it's not something that didn't happen in history. But the Great Council was those coming really from the second temple, when the first temple was destroyed. After that, you had the the Israelites came back from the exile, and you have different prophets. You have uh, Ezekiel, and well, even maybe even Daniel being part of this, but different prophets being part of this, and the early uh, elders of of the uh, the the Jewish faith kind of get together, and they did some things like they helped make sure that the the writings of the of the uh, the prophets were part of Scripture. They they did a lot of other stuff too. They wrote some extra things, and part of it was this book of prayer. And in this book of prayer, they have this. Uh, thing that the basically it means 18 blessings and these 18 blessings were prayed morning noon and night every day of the week and then extra ones or special ones that they would have on sabbath and on special holidays but what they would do is these these prayers were were pretty much written out and you would go to god in a community and you would gather in community and you would pray these things and even today if you go to synagogue you there would be a prayer leader sometimes even to a chant them, or oftentimes those who don't know the prayers, they read them out, so all you have to do is say amen and fulfill your covenant or your, your, your obligation to pray. But to understand, the Jewish understanding of prayer was that there were certain prayers that were written down, and you pray these things. And you pray them together in community because that's how the people would talk. In fact, if you wanted to talk to God and have a, a, a conversation with God on a personal thing, you needed to go mostly to the temple. I mean, think about Jesus when he gives this, uh, this teaching or this parable about uh, acceptable prayer to God. And he says, you know, you have these two men that are at the temple and one of them is a Pharisee. And he says, God, thank you that you didn't make me an evil tax collector. Right. And then the Pharisees say, God, thank you that, that, that you would forgive an evil sinner like me. Where were they? The temple. Because you had to be close to God. Who are you to talk to God wherever you want, whenever you want? If you're going to pray to God, pray in his people, pray in the temple, or pray in the synagogue. And even today, when you go to the Holy Land, what do we find? Stuffed in the walls of the remains of, of the temple are the prayers of the people. That's where they can finally give and talk to God. Now, we take the, these personal prayers, that's where that's acceptable. But ever, the rest of it, that's not how the, the Jewish community would pray. They would pray together. They would pray the things that were authorized. They would pray as God's people. And they would pray regularly. And Jesus goes and he gives a different kind of prayer. Not saying that those were wrong. But he fills prayer. The purpose of God's kingdom in prayer is not just about reciting the same right words before God. Instead, in Matthew 6, he says, when you pray, not if, but when, this is expected, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they'll ever get. Now, that sounds a lot like he said when you give. Don't be like somebody who does it showing and, and does it for, for the accolades of other people because that you've already got your reward. So Jesus begins, he says, don't be an actor. And oftentimes we could come together in a religious group and we could act the part out. 
and we could do things publicly so that everyone would look at me and say, oh, what a pious person you are. And he said, that's not really the attitude that we're supposed to be gathering under, not to be acting before God. These are not just lines that we say before him. And he says, you know, he goes to say a lot of folks, especially those who are very religious, were, were showy in their prayers. They were just public displays to impress other people, and that does not impress God. And so he begins by saying it has to be personal before it's public. Because God doesn't hear prayers like that. Instead, he goes on to say, but when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. This is where it becomes revolutionary. He didn't say, but when you pray, let's just all get together at the synagogue three times a day. He did something, now he's not saying that's wrong, of course we pray together publicly, that's in, in scripture that's a great thing, the apostles prayed publicly, Jesus prayed publicly, but he's telling us that there is an attitude here and there's a freedom in prayer that was previously unknown. He told us that we were authorized to talk to God even in our own private homes. Even as sinful people who are pretty much nobodies, I'm not a priest I'm not a prophet. I'm just a guy. And God's willing to come not just to my home, but into my closet so I can talk with him. See, prayer isn't about the place you go. You can go to a place that isn't holy. That, that prayer isn't about the person. Because even as unholy people, we could talk to God. And even prayer isn't even about going to God at the sacred times. Like authorized meetings with God, appointments where he has us on his schedule, says, I'll hear your prayers. He don't, doesn't say anything in here about what time, day that we have to talk to God. But when we pray, make sure it's not for public show. Make sure it's sincere. Make sure that we desire to meet with God. So he gives us a model for prayer that is different and strange, really unlike anything the world has ever seen. A prayer that is not at first communal, but personal. A prayer that isn't rote and put together by holy people who know how to talk to God and say all the right fancy things, but a prayer that is undirected. A prayer that isn't scheduled, but one that is spontaneous. I think of this, Jesus unveils for us this opportunity to have personal prayer. He goes on to explain how we do this. He says, when you pray, don't babble on and on like the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Now, he doesn't just pick on the Jewish religious types. The whole world got prayer wrong. Now, the Gentiles of Jesus' time mostly were the Romans. And the Romans would go to these temples, which were all of, throughout the Decapolis, throughout all the things, these big old temples, they were there. And you know how the, the Romans would pray when they got to these temples? Chants. There were like these little songs they would say over and over and over again to, to Zeus or to, to any other gods that they would, they would talk to. They would say the right things 
over and over again. But it's not so different even in today. The, we find that the, the Gentiles pray very weird and very regular kind of prayers. Think about the Muslims. They have part of their five pillars is to have daily prayer. In fact, five daily prayers. That's a lot. They, they pray every single day, five times a day, very regular. These are the things. And there's an order to their prayers, exactly what they do. It's a scheduled thing that they all do ev every day, over and over and over again, babbling on and on, hoping God will hear them. Or the Buddhists, who don't even believe in a God. They, they still, they come together and they, they pray. And what do they do? They have these the recitations of these different sutras or repetitions of different mantras that they, they say over and over and over again, the same things day after day, year after year, decade after decade, century after century, millennia after millennia, nothing new to say to their gods. Or the Hindus who believe in lots and lots of gods. Right? They too have repetitive prayers. Right? They, they call them uh, the, the japa or the different mantras that they'll say over and over again that they find in their holy writings. They just say them, the, the same things, the chants. Not much has changed. There's something in the human heart that desires to pray. There's something that let us know that we're supposed to commune with God, but there is something separate in religion versus actually communing with God. And he says, God's not real interested in that kind of prayer. Would you be interested in a conversation that was the same one every day where I just repeated myself again and again and again? Hey, Ted, how you doing? Please hear me. Hey, Ted, how we doing? Please hear me. Hey, Ted. I mean, you'd go out of your mind. See, God doesn't care about the chant. He knows that we can memorize things and repeat them. He's not impressed by that. It's mind-numbing. He wants conversation. He wants relationship. And so Jesus goes on to talk about a whole different way of communing with God. Verse 9, he says this, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's simple. It's beautiful. It's personal. And notice that Jesus says, pray like this, not pray this. He wasn't adding another prayer that we're supposed to repeat to him day after day, year after year, babbling on and on like the pagans. He's giving us an example. This is how you can talk to God as a private individual in your own prayer closet. This is the kind of access we have to God. And he gives us then this way that we begin talking with God. It's, it's almost like an outline. And the first thing he tells us in here is that, that we get to pray to the living God. The living God. That our Father who is in heaven. Like, this is important because we cannot pray to the universe. We do not pray to, to Michael the archangel. We do not pray to Buddha. We do not pray to anything but the living God. You have access to God Almighty. 
which is mind-blowing. Because who are we to talk to God? Now, I, I grew up Catholic, and a lot of people misunderstand Catholics and understand like how we would pray. Oftentimes, we would pray to, to Mary or, or the saints or the angels. And why would we do that? Because we worship them? No, no, no. That's not why Catholics do that. So they have such an understanding of the sovereignty and the holiness of God. They would say, I don't want to, like, why would God listen to me? But he'll listen to his mom, right? Or, or one of the saints, you know, that, that was a better person than me, maybe on, on my ha- they're in heaven. They could talk to God on my behalf to be like, hey, Jesus, I got a person down here. I know a guy who knows a guy who's been talking to me. You should might do these things. But here's the thing that the Catholics missed, something that was so freeing for me when I finally understood it. As I didn't just just to say the Our Father, that wasn't the only time I got to talk to God. When I repeated these words, as I actually got to talk to God. And the God of the universe would hear me. That God himself, in all of his power and his might and his authority, would bend his ear to me. And he does that for you. And he doesn't just say, God Almighty, creator in heaven, which sometimes I pray. (laughs) But look how Jesus begins this model prayer. He reminds us that we don't just talk to the one true living God, but one who loves us. He's your heavenly father. He cares for you deeply. That he's a God who's not bothered by you. Pastor Jesse says the only person that can wake up a king in the middle of the night for a glass of water is a child. And our God has that same type of attitude towards you and me. And that is amazing. And so we pray to the right God. Never let us pray to anything less than why would we address your prayers to the one true living God, to him only. And then we honor his glory. Our Father, who's in heaven, may your name be holy or hallowed be your name or may your name be honored or however your Bible wants to translate it. What it means is honor God. I think so often in prayer we forget this. We're like, hey God, here's my needs. You better do them. My kingdom come and and you better... God, I'm so angry with you because I don't understand things that are happening in my life. Oh, you can get to that eventually when you'd understand him, but first let's remember who we're talking to. Like Caleb says that every single week before we pray. Remember who we're talking to here. The fact that God is personal and revealed as a father does not diminish his glory or his sovereignty. He is God Almighty. And we have to revere him. The angels themselves who are holy, who have never sinned, who have cast out all of those who rebelled against God Almighty from heaven, who have gone to war on behalf of His glory, those who have proven themselves in the heavenlies to be pure and righteous, they themselves before God's holy throne can't even look at Him because He is so righteous and holy. They don't stare, stand on the ground which God's throne is at, but they hover above it and they cover their feet so as not to offend God's holiness. Who are we to walk into the throne room of God and just be lax? He is our Father, but He is a holy God. 
And so part of it is when we go to God, we remind ourselves who he is. And we pray for his honor. As we do that, we submit to God's will. Your kingdom come. This is the opposite of most of our prayers. If we're honest, most of my prayers are, God, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth and probably in heaven too. But your kingdom come. When we go to God in prayer, the first thing we ask is, what do you want, God? Let us not presume that we all know the mind of God because our minds are tiny and God's mind is infinite. For any God who can fit inside of your head is too small to fill the universe. So when we go to God, a little humility as we honor his name, he's the one that is sovereign. And the first thing we ought to be asking God is, what is it that you will for me, your humble servant, your kingdom come? Now, we ask that personally, absolutely, but I also, as it's personal, then also public. We prayed about it today. We want to see God's kingdom honored and revered even in this world. God, I want your righteousness to be manifest in my life and in my home and in my relationships and in my business and in my society and in my country and in this world because this world is pretty broken. But we're not asking for what I want. The first thing we ask is what God wants. And if you don't know what God wants, it's good to ask him. And here's where we do that. And so we ask for his kingdom to come, and then we also ask for God's help. Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as in, as in heaven. But then uh, we're like, uh, Lord, you're going to help me do this. Your will be done. How on earth <laughs> am I going to do what you've asked me to do? And so we go to God and say, help me, your will has to be done. And I think a lot of times he brings conviction into our lives and there's things that God asking us to do that one, we don't agree with him because it's his will, not mine. And two, I don't know how I'm going to do it because he asks more of me than I can do of my own. Which is why he promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that he is with us. And so we ask for help. And as we, we say, you know, that I ask for help, we also go into helping for my regular things in life. Give us today our daily bread. You see that I can't provide everything of my own. This is where I get to bring my list before God, which most of us just leap right over everything and just land here. God, heal me from this. Protect me from this. Provide for me in this. Protect this person, right? Do these things in the world, Lord. We need you to do what, what we cannot do. And God wants us to bring those things. It says at other places of the scripture that we're supposed to pray all kinds of things and bring all of our requests before God. So here's where you get to do that. Ask for his help. Give us today our daily bread. But as we confess or we do that, we, we also go and confess our sins. And I think it's interesting that he adds this after we've already asked him for help. After we've already honored his name and done all those things. 
And I think Jesus puts our confession here, forgive us our sins or our trespasses or whatever your, your debts or whatever your Bible has in there, but it's the idea that we've sinned. Why forgiveness after we've done all these things? Because one, we need to talk to the right God who can forgive us, but also we need to remember who he is. So we remind ourselves that he's holy and righteous and we need his forgiveness. But also after we've asked our needs, after we've asked for his help, because until we get there, I think God knows how distracted we are. We would be thinking the entire time, like, Lord, I, 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 uh, if we confess sins first, we'd be like, okay, here's these sins, I've got to get out of the way. But really, my entire heart and my mind would be about what I need. And God, who knows our needs even before we speak, he allows us to get our needs out, to get that kind of just, <laughs> to empty. So why? So we can, he can finally do the deeper work in us. What's broken in there? Yes, God loves you, and he wants to fulfill your needs even before you confess your sins. He loves you, but he wants to change you. He doesn't want to leave you broken. I mean, the deeper needs that we have are not physical needs. This world and will pass away. Every person that Jesus healed in his earthly ministry is now dust. Every person he brought back to life in his earthly ministry is dust, right? Every person he fed in his earthly ministry, eventually needed to eat again, and now they're dead. Like, there are needs that are beyond physical needs, and we spend all of our time, fix this relationship. Well, guess what? You're not going to live here forever. And the relationships you have on this earth are not probably going to be the ones you're going to have forever, at least some of them. And the things that we, we struggle with today in 100 years, no one's going to even know about, much less care about. And God cares about them now, and so he hears them, but the deeper thing that God wants from us is to have a right and righteous relationship with him, and he wants to do the inner work, the eternal things in you. And so God does hear the lighter things. He did heal people in this world. He fed people in this world. He did all that good stuff, and he does lots of good things for us. That's why I pray for you every week. But I'll tell you that the things that we often pray for are tiny compared to what God wants to do in you. So we confess our sins. Now, get this. That's a safe thing to do. If you were going before a judge, you wouldn't say, judge, here's all the ways I've broken the law. That's not a smart thing to do. And yet you're going before the king of the universe and say, this is how I've committed high treason against you. This is how I violated your laws. That seems to be a little crazy. Most of the time, you try to hide those things. Hopefully, the king won't see them, but God sees everything. When we go before God, he invites us to expose the things he already knows are there, to confess our sins. As the apostle John writes later in his first epistle, he says, and if we confess our sins, God is faithful, means he will always do it, and he is just You'd be wrong to not do this. He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That the confession of sin before God is the only safe place to bring your confession. And he asks us to go before God and to come away clean. And as we, as we go and we confess our sins, then we also forgive others. Because it says, forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sinned against us or trespassed against us, or are dead against, have, have debt with us, or however your Bible wants to put it, anyone who sinned against you, if we're asking for forgiveness, this is a time that we also give forgiveness. It's a time to be 
be given peace and be made right so that we don't carry around the brokenness of bitterness in our hearts any longer. That we're set free from the, the trivial things of this world and we hand people forgiveness is not just saying, God, just drop this, right? That God, I'm uh, just let justice go unfulfilled. Forgiveness is giving ahead. It's handing justice to God. It's saying, I don't want justice in my hands anymore. I want justice into your hands. I want, we gave justice for ourselves into God's hands. Here's my sins. Do with what you will. And he took all of our sins and he placed them on Jesus. And everybody who sinned against you, we placed justice into his hands. And we will let God do what is right and righteous. But it means that we no longer hold the authority or the right to, to take our pound of flesh. Somebody wrongs us, we bring it to God. We say, God, forgive them. I forgive them. Lord, I'm giving justice to you. As we ask for forgiveness, then we request guidance. And lead us not into temptation. There's a humility in prayer that we have before God. To recognize that God isn't just there to forgive us from things, but he actually makes us our lives better. He gives us the ability to live wiser, better, more purposeful lives so that we don't run into sin and that we have less bad things happen to us. It's an acknowledgement that God Almighty isn't just there to judge our lives, but he is also there with us to help guide and direct our lives. And he's willing to do that. In fact, he's given us the Holy Spirit now to, to do that. But we need to be willing to let him. It's an acknowledgement, God, guide me today. Lead me. I don't want to fall into temptation. Don't make my world life harder than it needs to be, God. And I don't want to trust my own best thinking. So let me trust your best thinking, God. Please guide me. And the scriptures say, if we ask for wisdom, God, who is always righteous, doesn't even look for a reason to deny us that request. He will always give us wisdom when we ask. So lead me, Father, not into temptation. But then also it says a call for protection and deliver me from the evil one. Because the enemy is real and in our world the devil has gone stealth. He has tricked so many people that thinking that he is just a concept. That the enemies of God, the demonic forces who rebelled against God, who were cast out of the heavens by the, by the angels of God, those are real beings and they are very powerful and they do not sleep and they are not subject to our natural laws and they are mad at God in his kingdom and they hate you because you are made in his image and you are his body and they are out to destroy you. And if you do not think that is true, you are playing with fire and you are in deep trouble because the devil is real and he roar, he's, he's like a roaring lion that prowls this earth looking for whom he can devour. And my brothers and sisters, there are so many of us who have been destroyed by the devil and his lies. He tricks you into walking away from God's own kingdom. He tricks you into lives of, of, of servitude to all kinds of lusts and all kinds of horrible things. He destroys your families. He destroys your thinking. He destroys your world. And the devil is out there. And we have to ask God, help because I have no defense against the devil if it was not for God. So we ask for help. And guess what? God helps. The only thing that makes the devil tremble is God himself. And God is with us. And I love the fact that there is a day coming, a very real day, when we and all of creation will stand and I will be cheering as God himself casts Satan and all of his horrible demonic horde into the fiery pit 
that they belong in. And we will be there. But the cool thing is today we can walk in the protection of God. You can become untouchable, but only if you're in God's will and only if you're under his protection. So ask for his protection. And I would encourage you, all of you husbands and fathers, be paying protection over your wives and your children and your homes. It's a solemn work and responsibility that God has given us. Just as I want you to know as your pastor, I pray for each one of you every week. And I do that because it's a responsibility, a solemn one that God has given me, why you need a pastor. And so, call for God's protection. Now, five attributes as we see in God's amazing prayer that Jesus gave us. Now, I, I'm encourage you, don't just pray the Our Father. That's missing the point. That's going back to being what the pagans always did. That's back to going into that way of, of just talking to God. He doesn't want to have yesterday's conversations with somebody that somebody else was supposed to have. He wants to have a conversation with you, but you can use this. He says, pray like this to know how to talk to God. And so there's some principles that he gives us. And the first one in there is that, that personal prayer must be real. It's not a show. When you talk to God, you're not going to go there and impress him. Don't use words that you don't normally use. Talk to him. Right? Don't do it in such a way that other people are, would be impressed by you. Just talk to God. Right? Have a real relationship with your God. And if you ha don't have a, a close relationship, start talking to him and you'll get closer with him. But it's got to be real. Talk to him about things that are actually happening in your life. What, what you really feel. You'd be honest with God. As you have a conversation, a real conversation with your creator, the second thing is it's got to be relational. To recognize that God loves you. We do not approach God as some great CEO in the sky, right? Do we have to make an appointment with and be all formal with? He is your heavenly father and he wants to hear from you. Yes, he is holy. Yes, he is creator. Yes, he is almighty. He's all the things that we need him to be and more. But have a relationship with him. What's going on in your heart? Where's God's heart for you and your family and in your life? Have a relationship. Have that emotional connection with God. To, be, to go to him not just as a great giant vending machine, but as a real being with real feelings. As we go to him and have this relational prayer, it's very, very different. Like, if you have a friend who's in need, it's very, very different than somebody who's just coming to you as a, the position that you have. You know, like, if you're a neighbor or maybe their boss or something, it's, it's a very different thing. Go to God knowing that he loves you and learn how to love him back. And not only relational, but prayer's got to be relevant, right? It's talking about God's kingdom come. That's what we pray, right? In our world today, in your life today, what is the God's will? What is his kingdom for you now? What is he asking you to do? And one thing I know about God is, is that he is relentless in his pursuit of our sanctification because he loves us that much. Which means that God is very rarely puts us at a place where he says, you should be comfortable with the way you are because I, I know me and I'm pretty sure about most of you, you're not fully sanctified yet. There are, and even if you were perfectly sanctified, there are, are a lot of things in our culture that aren't. That to be praying to God, how do I have your will done at your kingdom come? How do I live for you now? 
And so I need you to delete me today. I need you to deliver me today. Protect me today. Relevant prayers. What's going on really in your life? What's going on really in your spirit? And what does God really want from you? Be a relevant prayer. Don't just chatter on ancient prayers written by other people. God's already had those conversations. He wants to hear from you. Something else we recognize, the prayer's got to be regular. It does say our daily bread. Don't just give us what I need this year. Isn't it awesome that God wants to hear from you all the time? I didn't understand this so much until I became a father. Right? But I love to hear from my son every day. Uh, to have a conversation, just to talk with him. And God wants to hear from you, not just when we're doing business. He wants to know your heart. He knows your heart, but he wants you to know his as well. He wants you to have that regular communion with him. Ephesians 6.18, it says, pray at all times and every occasion is what it says. At all times and every occasion. Isn't that amazing? You don't have to call up God's heavenly secretary and set up an appointment. He wants to hear from you. And, and Jesus gives us all of these amazing things. And, and in Luke chapter 11, Jesus also gives this model prayer. It's later in his ministry. It's actually close to the very end. It's in his third year of ministry where he gives us in his first. And it says that one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, I don't know if that guy forgot what Jesus said three years earlier. Maybe it's a different disciple, a guy to follow him or whatever. And he comes up and says, teach us to pray. We don't know how to do this because he sees that Jesus has a different kind of prayer life. It wasn't just, and I'm sure that Jesus did go to synagogue. I'm sure he did pray three times a day, that, that there's nothing wrong with that. But he, Jesus also went out into the mountains, and he, he went away to also have his own prayer time. And his disciple came to him and said, teach us how to pray. And Jesus says, well, pray like this. And he gives them this prayer. And then he finishes it by saying this amazing thing, that it's safe to pray to your God. It's pray, safe to pray to Heavenly Father because he's a good father. He says, consider you. He said, you who are fathers, you're wicked, sinful people. I'm like, ouch, thank you, Jesus, for that. And he says, as wicked as you are, even if your kid comes to you and asks for bread, are you going to give him a scorpion? No. He says, if you are wicked and awful and give your children good things when they ask, how much more will your heavenly father give you good things when you ask? And so it's safe and good to go to our heavenly father. That, that when we pray regularly, we're not exposing ourselves to God's divine abuse. Now, I'll tell you, there was a time in my life that I questioned this. And here's why. Because I went through a period where things got really, really rough in our family, in our life, and, and all the circumstances got bad. And everything I seemed to pray for, the opposite would happen. I prayed that my wife would get healthy. She got sick, or I prayed that he'd meet our needs financially. When things got worse, there was more debt, right? I prayed that things would go better at work, and then, man, it just got worse. Like, everything I prayed for just seemed like, God, I can't trust to talk to you. And I told him that. I was like, I don't, why talk to you? Things just only get worse when I talk to you, Right? I get it. Maybe you're in one of those spaces, but here on the other side is what I've seen is God was, did never abandon me in that. He held my wife's health in her hands. He held my career in his hand. He held our finances. There was never a time that, that he didn't provide for me or keep his will or anything, but he was teaching me that he wasn't a vending machine. God was teaching me something, how to come to him humility, a lesson that I needed. And if you are at a place and you feel like God isn't safe to talk to, I want you to know this, that he's, he's working in you right now but he's the safest one ever to talk to, and he's not going to drop you. But I also want you to know this, that God always does what is right and what is best, not what is most convenient for us. Just like when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and asked the Father three times, hey, 
can we not do this whole cross thing? But then he said, not my will, but yours be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And because God allowed Jesus to go to the cross, there's the salvation of all, and Jesus is given a name above every other name. See, God sees the big picture. He's in it for the long game. And sometimes, even in prayer, he calls us to go through a time of testing and difficulty, but it doesn't mean he abandons us. So here's the deal. Sometimes I pray, and God doesn't answer my prayers the way I want. As a pastor, I pray for a lot of people who are sick. We've seen miracles and seen people just healed in the most miraculous of ways. It's, it's phenomenal, but it doesn't happen all the time. That drives me nuts because it's the same God. So why not just heal somebody? Here's the deal. When, after I've prayed for someone to be healed, now it's in God's hands because I am not God. I'm asking him. It's a request, and I'm saying, your kingdom come in this person's life, and sometimes he doesn't heal them right away because God is doing a deeper work. If I didn't pray, Scripture says, we suffer a lot of things that we don't need to suffer because God's will was, isn't that thing, and he would have healed them if we would just ask. But if I pray and he does not heal, that means that there's purpose in the suffering. There's purpose in the pain. And that means that now he is at work. And that changes it entirely. And so I pray regularly. I pray consistently to my God because the more I pray for God, the more I'm inviting and authorizing his kingdom to come in this world now. And our Heavenly Father is a good Father, and He will always do what is right. And we can trust that. But Jesus doesn't finish this teaching with that. That's what He teaches three years later when He gives the Our Father, right? When He teaches people how to pray three years later. In this particular time, He focuses not on, hey, you can trust God because He's always going to answer in the right way. This is how He finishes this teaching. He says this, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive other sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Which teaches another principle that God gives us, that Jesus gives us about regular prayer, and it's this, it's got to be righteous. We shouldn't be going to God and asking for his kingdom to come while we ourselves are, are living in opposition to his kingdom. If you have high-handed sin that you're holding up, you're saying, God, I want you to do things for me, but I'm not going to surrender my life for you, then watch out. God's not going to be impressed. He's not going to hear those prayers. In fact, many times in Scripture, uh, in the New Testament, Jesus talks about it. he doesn't hear the prayers of the hypocrites. If you're going to be an actor, God's not interested in hearing what you have to say. But if you really are submitted to him as king and Lord and God, then he's going to hear what you have to say and there's going to be power within it. See, God doesn't hear the, the prayers of the unrepentant. It says that many times throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. He says, actually uses a term, it says, he makes the heavens like brass. And at the time period, that was the hardest metal. It would be like for us to say he makes the heavens titanium. Prayers don't get through if you're living a life hardened by sin. So if you want God to hear you, you need to have a life that is submitted to his will. Then he will hear you. And in particular, like First Peter, if you're a husband and you're abusing your wife, God's not going to hear you. If you are living in your world and you're saying, God, I've got this sin and I'm not willing to give it up, he's not going to hear you. Now, if you sin in your life, you're like, God, I'm having a hard time giving this up. I don't even know how to give this up, but I, I want to. Now he hears you. Even it could be a prayer like, God, I just want to want what you want for me because I don't want what you want for me right now. But I want to want what you want for me, so help me have that. He'll hear you. But if you have a high-handed sin, it's like, God, I know what you want, and I'm not going to do it. God's not going to listen to you. And this is an answer, reason for so many Christians do not have answered prayers. If you want God to hear you, pray a righteous prayer. You go to God and say, what is your will? I hear you, God. I need your help. 
to do this. If you submit yourself to God, his kingdom has come in you because now you're under the authority of the king. And his will will be done. And his will is always good. So prayer has always got to be righteous. So let's approach God with the prayers of a righteous heart. And as it says in, in scriptures in James 5, that the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and do a lot. So in conclusion, we have like this. Pray like this. They recognize that when we pray that our prayer has got to be real. It's got to be relational. Our prayers have got to be relevant. Our prayers have got to be regular, and they have to be righteous. Now, do you see, my brothers, how much I love you? I made all of those start with the letter R <laughs> so you could remember them. It took me a long time to come to all those R words. I had a thesaurus. So you can remember, so that way you can have a rich, deep prayer life that is powerful and transformative. And of course, our anchor verse for this, as Jesus concludes a whole Sermon on the Mount, he says, and therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Stability in life comes when we live our lives according to God's great way, including with how we pray. So how do you apply this? Well, on your connection card, I've got some next steps. And the first one on there And I'm inviting you this week to read a real prayer from a real man named David. It's scripture. It's inspired by God's Holy Spirit, just as the prayer that we read here. And you're going to get to see how a real man in a real difficult situation, how he pours his heart out to a very real and wonderful God. And oftentimes, when I don't even know what to pray, I oftentimes turn to the Psalms. And it's amazing how the Holy Spirit has in advance already put my, my heart on paper. And I invite you to go this week and to read Psalm, uh, Psalm 86. And maybe you'll find a resonance there and you can pray this prayer back to God in a real and irrelevant way. As you do that, meditate on Matthew 7, uh, 24. This is our anchor verse. Are you a wise person? Are you building your house on the rock? Are, are you praying in the way that God wants you to? Or is there some different way? Is God's kingdom come and you're asking his will to be done? Is, is there something different that he's asking you to do? then build your life on, on what he's asking you to do. Meditate on that. Think about what that passage means for you today. Something else, a challenge, and this might be something difficult if you haven't done this before, is to develop a habit of prayer. It's is not, Jesus didn't say, if you pray, pray like this, but when you pray. And he was talking to an audience that would pray three times every day. And if they would pray three times every day, that'd just be communal. How much more for us who don't even have to go to a synagogue to pray? Pray, talk to God. Make it regular. Make that commitment. It's going to be difficult as you first begin because you're building a new habit. But it'll be rich and wonderful. And if you want to know what to pray, well, I've got something for you. On the seat back front in front of you, there's a thing that's our take five. I'm asking everybody in our church, every day of the week, there are certain things together we need to be talking to God about, seeing his kingdom come into this church and this community in order for us to fulfill what he's asked us to do. There's stuff for Monday through Friday. Pray those things. But also... Jesus gave you a great outline and begin learning how to talk to God. Make that commitment. And if you have a deep and abiding prayer ministry, this is something that you've got a prayer life, that this is something you know that God wants you to, he's gifted you with, that you're close to him, I'm gonna encourage you to join our prayer team. This is, there's different prayer teams. The first one, and this is where you'd begin, is it's an email list. And every time we get a prayer request that says go to the prayer team, people in the church, it just goes out. Now, when you get those, don't go talk to the person about what you're praying about. Listen, this is not a gossip time. This is not a counseling thing. They're not asking you for, for their encouragement. They're just saying pray. If you're on the prayer team, you just pray. 
They'll just come in every single week. They'll come in Mondays or Tuesdays, so they come in. And throughout the week, as prayer things come in, and you'll get an email, and you just bring those things before God. And I'll tell you what, the prayers of the church are powerful. And if you want to be part of that, it'd be good. Now, there's another level of a prayer team. If you're interested, we go into that. It's more a very small group that gets together and prays for very strategic things that are happening. They pray for me and for our pastors, our elders, protection of that, for stuff that might be happening as we are trying to bring God's uh, will into this kingdom. It's a, it's a much bigger commitment. But here's the thing is that we need prayer warriors. And if you'd like to begin, just pray. Join the prayer team. Begin praying for this. And I'll tell you, God honors a praying church because we begin living in his, his way, right? his kingdom. Now, if, you, if you're here this morning and you don't have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, well, bad news first is that you really can't pray. God's not going to hear you yet because you, you have to pray to the Heavenly Father. And if you're still in walking in sin, you're not his child, you can't pray to your Heavenly Father. You, you need to him to be your Heavenly Father first. You need to be saved by, by God's grace through your faith in Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now, here's the good news is that you can do that. You don't have to climb some mountain and do any weird chance or earn anything. Jesus has already done it for you, but, but you do have to express your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now, here's a benefit. It doesn't just give you the access to God and you can talk to him anytime you want to, and you have, but he also saves you from your sin, which is an amazing thing. He brings you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. He puts purpose and promise in your life. He'll give you this Holy Spirit and his presence, and he also gives you a really awesome church family to be around you as you grow up in faith. So if you need to take that step to, to become a Christian, to become a follower of Jesus, to become a child of the living God, do not leave today until you take this, this opportunity. And so what I'd like from you, if, if you need to take that step, come talk with me after the message. And I'll help you. I'll listen to where you're at, and then we'll help you take those steps of faith. Uh, so you can be born again into God's amazing kingdom uh, and have a lot of the benefits, and one of which is that you can talk to God. All right, hopefully all of you, everybody here, including myself, has a next step. All of it has something to do. So please mark it on your connection card. I'm going to pray for us. And I please uh, drop that in the offering basket as it's passed along with your tithes and your gifts. All right. Well, join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you didn't just give us a, 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 this world without any hope. You didn't give us this world with any power. You, you were in this world with us, but also you invite us to come talk to you. I pray, Father, today and throughout this week, help us to grow as, as your family. Help us to learn how to speak with you just as Jesus taught us. Uh, and, and all of the amazing ways that, uh, that you have uh, brought to us through this. Father, we, we want to pray real prayers. And Lord, we want to pray uh, relational prayers and, and relevant prayers and regular prayers. Father, we want to pray righteous prayers. So Father, allow that to be real in us, Lord, as we come and talk to you. And as you do, transform us. Make it personal before it's public. But then also, Father, make it public. That our world needs you deeply. May your kingdom come and your will be done as it's on earth and as in heaven. Father, we pray for these tithes and these offerings and even our commitments. May that be the, the, the first step that we take to seeing that happen in, in our world today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.